0: Hello there. and Welcome to this Bible study from the Monroe Church of Christ. I'm Derek Glover, the preacher at the Monroe Church of Christ in Monroe, Wisconsin. And we're so glad that you decided to join us for this study, not just any study, but a brand new study, lesson one, in a new study on the book of Revelation. And boy, what a crazy, crazy journey this book has been on and what a journey we are going to go on as well. Um, People are intimidated by revelation. People steer clear of revelation. Different churches handle Revelation very differently. Um, The history of Revelation is quite tumultuous. This book is strange. You know, Romans and Hebrews are very difficult books theologically. Uh, Some of the prophets can be a bit challenging in what they offer us in the Old Testament, but Revelation is one that nobody wants to go near. Uh, at least not voluntarily, but we're going, to, we're going to do that. We're going to do that together. As I said, this book has been on a pretty strange journey. Uh, it was not considered a part of our Bibles for a long time. It was not considered Scripture for, for quite some time. And to make it into our canon, it took until about 397 A.D. when a conference took place in Carthage in North Africa, and it was finally allowed in. It had previously um, been rejected as Scripture. And part of the, the cause for that rejection was mostly as a response. You know, we do so many things and make so many choices about our faith and about the practice of our faith based on responding to something someone else is doing. We don't want to look like them, so we're not going to do this thing in the, in the same way they do. And the Revelation was sort of set aside and not considered scripture in response to a group called the Montanist. The Montanists were um, a, a, a sect of, of Christianity um, that made people uncomfortable. They would be what to to that to ancient Christianity what in modern Christianity we would think of as charismatic, or um, even the Pentecostal churches that are very vocal, um, have a lot of prophetic uh, qualities about it. And the Montanus were, were a group very much in that vein. And it made early Christians uncomfortable because they were afraid that here are these people prophesying and, and doing some strange things and being very loud about it, that it's going to bring judgment down on Christians and persecution on Christians from Rome. And so they were very suspicious of the Montanists. most Christians were. And in response to that, here's this book with all of this um, prophetic language and things that seem very strange and we can't make heads or tails of it, so we put that aside. And um, in response to the Montanists, the book of Revelation, was not considered scripture in the early years. Uh, And it's true that, you know, they have a point because the the fear was that people would use that in order to build their own kind of sect and and their own group that they would make of Revelation whatever they wanted it to be uh, to defend their position, their theology, their doctrine. And it's true, there is a temptation to read Revelation as a code book as some sort of secret message that God is trying to transmit to us that we have to filter through and decode. Uh, There were some who felt that Revelation should not be a part of the Bible just because it was too hard to understand. They were afraid those splinter groups would form, and indeed they have. I mean, we, we can look at a lot of denominations in the world and trace some of the differences back to an understanding of the book of Revelation or a misunderstanding of it. People like uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin rejected uh, Revelation. Uh, Luther, for most of his life, uh, and Calvin also, we think, probably did not consider it Scripture um, based on the things they wrote. Uh, Calvin wrote commentaries on every other book of the Bible except Revelation, and Luther was vocally against its inclusion in the canon. Eastern Orthodox churches um, don't teach from it. The Catholic Church... Uh, They teach from it as a warning to every generation and uh, they're they're not wrong um, to to encourage each generation to be ready. The Coptic Church, which is one of the oldest Christian churches in the world in in North Africa, which is quickly going extinct, um, they read the entire book on what's called Bright Saturday, which is the Saturday before Easter, and they read it in its entirety. And that's really the way this book is designed to be consumed. It needs to be read. It's meant to be heard. It's meant to be listened to as a whole. And I would even encourage you, before you move on in this study, before you watch next week's lesson, before you watch the, the what comes after this, read the whole book through. Once, maybe twice. Listen to it if you have an audio recording of it. But go through the entire book as a whole. Get the big picture of it. Because that's what you want—that's what you want to take in—and that's how the original audience would have heard it and would have been exposed to it, and that would have made a lot of difference in understanding it. It will for us as well. Uh, it would be if, if we want to dig in and go a little bit by little bit and, and and take it apart and put it back together. That would be like meeting someone and and deciding that you need to do a full autopsy on them in order to determine if they're a good person. Um, you can learn a lot from an autopsy but you're gonna kill the person in the process. We kill so much about what's beautiful about this book by the way that we dissect it. Uh, And so we're going to try to avoid the dissection of this book and focus ourselves on understanding it in the broader picture and, and taking it for what it's worth. Um, we We need to hollow this book, we need to read this book, we need to understand its purpose for our walk as Christians, and its purpose for our life today. What we don't want to do is let it divide us. We don't want to come to some disagreement on what this means or what that number represents. We're not going to go there, and we don't want to ever make this bigger than Jesus. Jesus is at the forefront and at the center of all we do, and all we believe, and all that guides us, and we are not going to let the things in this book get bigger than our Savior. Um, You know, one thing that we tend to do is forget that the letters we read in the Bible, the books in the Bible, they were written for us, but they were not written to us if that makes sense. Uh, We're reading someone else's mail, in a sense. Uh, We've picked up a letter, and if we're gonna understand what it says, we need to understand who wrote it, we need to understand who they wrote it to, and we need to get a picture of when it was written and what the context is to understand what this author and what this recipient are trying to communicate with one another. And so we wanna make sure that we, we think of it that way. You know words and concepts change. Um, as time goes on, the understanding of things changes. If you can imagine uh, and, and this has had this happened in my lifetime and so it's it's really amazing. My kids won't know anything different, but in my lifetime, we went from no cell phone to cell phone to smartphone. Um, and the things that can be done with these devices are remarkable you're watching the product of one of it right uh, one of those things right now um, because this this setup is an iPad and a couple of iPhones and that's about it and uh, and it, it shows but uh, but it's that, that's changed so much. Imagine going back to say 1999 and I was probably in about the seventh grade, seventh or eighth grade in 1999. That would have been about eight years before the first iPhone came out. And imagine I were to say to someone that um, I pulled out my phone and took a selfie. Or, hey, let's let's uh, let me grab my phone and we'll take a selfie. No one knew what that was. Imagine if I said that I was going to I was going to take a picture on my phone and post it to Instagram and then get directions to the restaurant where I had reserved a table on my phone, that these words don't matter; they don't mean anything, um, and because the concept is so foreign, and so this is the case when we're trying to understand an ancient book, and, and Revelation is certainly an ancient book, we need to know where it came from, why it was written, who wrote it, who they were who writing it to, and what they were trying to convey, and understand some of the words and phrases and words and concepts that mean nothing to us meant something very, very important to them. And so we're going to have to get into a mindset of understanding that, that and we have to try uh, to make it fit that context and not make it fit our context. And that's what people tend to do with Revelation. That makes it so confusing and intimidating. When we read about horses, uh, you know, coming out of the sky, and insects coming from the east, and then and then you'll hear someone say, "Well, that must be, you know, oh, that's uh, the Soviet Union, and that's and Gorbachev has the scar on it." There's always a mark of the beast. <laughs> Every generation comes up with one. Um, there's always something that they're trying to make this out to to apply to us. That's something we do when we read scripture, is we read it and immediately try to stick ourselves in it somewhere, that somehow this was written and it survived these thousands of years just so we can read it and it can be applied to 2021. No, no. Uh, the people who are alive in 2021, frankly, are just not that special. That revelation is only about you. Uh, This was written to a specific people in a specific time using specific language that they understood and we should leave it there and not get caught up in the need to make it about us and the need to make it relevant to our life in that way. This is uh, an important book because it removes the veil. It kind of gives us a peek beyond what's in this world and into another world. And it demands of us that we have loyalty to Jesus Christ. Um, we are to have loyalty simply to the one true God. And we do not, and, and this, is, this is what this book is really saying. We don't tie our, um, our life and we don't tie our uh, value and we don't tie our faith to the state, um, to a nation or a politician. I mean, it's always, it seems to be one thing after another in this world. Um, and, and there's elections, and there's riots, and there's arguments, and there's always somebody on one side or another. Um, but this, this book makes a very clear distinction between people of faith and, and the fact that, that that's who we are. And it's not dependent on a king or an emperor or a nation. That's who we are no matter what. This is a book of rebellion. This is a book of rebellion against the powers that be. And in that sense, it is a pledge of allegiance to God and to his son, Jesus Christ. So we wanna understand the context and we wanna understand that the people whom this was written to, uh, they had lived through Tiberius, they had lived through Caligula, they had lived through Nero and now they were coming into the time um, of Dalmatian and it was evil emperor after evil emperor after evil emperor for them. It had been a roller coaster of, of, of a life as a Christian. And so that's the world they're living in. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. It, that's, that's the world they're living in, uh, is one that's hostile to their faith. Now, who wrote it? Well, tradition tells us that the Apostle John wrote this. The, the traditional story is that the Apostle John was exiled by Rome to the island of Patmos to die while he was there. God appeared and gave him a sign, a revelation, a vision that he was to write and then send back to to seven churches. Uh, There's plenty of reasons to believe that it is the Apostle John. Uh, There's nothing really that precludes that from being possible, though there are plenty of reasons to not believe that's the case. The style and the diction are completely different from John. The timing of it may be a little too late for John. Um, and, and that's okay if it's not because, quite frankly, followers of particular apostles or, or teachers would often write things in their style and their wording and put their name on it. That was not considered dishonest. That would be today. That was not considered dishonest then. We even would note that 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John do not appear to be written by the Apostle John. Um, they appear to be written by someone we call John the Evangelist. Um, it may very well be a different author, a different writer, writing in the name of the Apostle John. So, despite the tradition and the evidence, um, it could be John. It might not be John, and that's okay. It's okay. It doesn't. It doesn't destroy our faith to to understand the reality here. But there's some debate in academia uh, as to who it is and who wrote it. So. Um, so he So the island of Patmos, by the way, the idea that he was in exile there to die—that's mm, Rome exiled people a lot. But if they wanted to put you to death, they put you to death. So um, you know, it's very well this person might have been there, but it says in the in the text that this person was sent there by God to receive a message and to take it back to the seven churches. So um, this person wasn't just in exile and happened to get a vision. God brought them there for a purpose and for uh, and for a reason. As I mentioned, uh, we want to make sure we read this um, read this book as a whole. This is really important that we want to read the entire thing all the way through. So I would encourage you, you can pause this video right now. You can wait until it's over and go do it uh, in your free time and come back to the next lessons. But but I want you to read it as a whole and, and, and understand the full breadth of this book before we dive into little bits and pieces along the way. Because we're not going to go more than, you know, half an hour generally on, on these things. So um, this book... <clears throat> uh, we'll just start reading it. Let's read in Revelation chapter one, verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bond servants, the things which must soon take place. Okay. Must soon take place. Soon. Now that word trips people up because it says soon. And yet we don't think these things have already taken place. And it's been, it's been a while. Okay. It's been a couple thousand years. So what does this mean soon? And then people will say, oh, well, uh, you know, a day is to the Lord, like a thousand years. And please don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, because, uh, you're trying to fit something in that's not there soon meant something different for them. Uh, and soon was just what it said, uh, that, that it's, it, it just is what it is. God is not some kind of trickster that's going to say soon, ah, but he really means long time. No, that's not what that's not what it is. Um, and, and they believed this was all about to happen. They believed that Jesus was going to come back any minute now. For, for a long time after the time of Christ, they believed his return was imminent. And ever since then, people have been trying to predict his return. And so the author wrote this will soon take place because they thought it might happen tomorrow. Um, and, 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 it hasn't, and that's okay too. Uh, soon can mean different things, but let's not try to make it about us and let's not try to make it more than it is. So he's writing to tell all these things, which will soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. All right, so the time is near. Now, what have we done with this ever since we've read it? Well, we've made it about us. And every generation has their signs and their marks of the beast. And look, we are a part of the journey, but we're not the point of the journey. We need to read this through the eyes of the people who received it. It was written to the seven churches. It says so right here in verse four, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is in, excuse me, who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us uh, and releases released us from our sins and by his blood and he has made us to be a kingdom Priest do his glory uh, excuse me priest to his god and father to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever amen behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him so it is to be amen i am the alpha and the omega says the good lord who is and who uh, was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we begin with this message being delivered. And again, uh, we wanna be sure that we're not reading ourselves into that message. That's to the seven churches who are in Asia as an encouragement, as a reminder God is with them and God is watching over them. They were going to be facing some really difficult stuff. They were gonna be facing some really hard moments. In the near future and we know that from his history <clears throat> and they thought jesus was coming right back and now it's been a while right it's now two three generations removed from the time of christ we're in the we're by the way between 85 and 95 a.d so we're coming up on two three generations since the time of christ and after a while, if you think Jesus is coming back and he hasn't come back yet, and, you're, and, and you know, you're watching your grandkids grow up, you start wondering, did we follow the right God? Was he who he said he was? All of this trouble is happening around us. Did we make the right choice? These are the questions they're asking themselves. This is what they're beginning to doubt and what they're beginning to wonder about, and this is the purpose of the writing. This is the purpose. They are going through a hard time of persecution. They are going through a difficult time in their faith. And this is being offered to them, these seven churches, and given to Christians to bolster their faith, to encourage them, and to help them live more righteous lives, and lives in kind of a rebellious sense. We'll get to that in a minute, too. Let's start here in in, uh, in verse 12. And we'll get into the to the visions, okay? We'll we'll get into that. So verse 12, we're gonna read from verse 12 through verse 20, through the end of the chapter, all right? So stick with me here. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Um, don't get hung up on seven. <laughs> seven, yes, it had significance. It meant a lot of whatever. It meant a bunch, it meant the perfect numbers, okay? But in this case, it's the seven churches that he's that he's writing to. So I saw seven golden lampstands and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to his feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool like snow and his eyes uh, like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of mighty waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Not literally, okay? Not literally. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I now, I know, if you imagine this picture in your mind, it's almost unbelievable. What does it mean? Okay, just take a step back. So we have seven lampstands. They represent the seven churches and here stands in the middle of it, Jesus. And and he's glowing in brilliance. And in one hand, he has seven stars. Uh, And then in his mouth is this sharp two-edged sword. Okay, understand. Remember, words and phrases change their meaning. That doesn't mean anything to us. They understood what this figurative language was meant to represent. They understood what that meant when he was described that way, that he had this sharp double-edged sword coming out. It means his words have power. And and, and we're we're sitting here going, what does it mean? Oh my goodness, the sharp. They understood it. Okay. And and let's not get hung up on it. Uh, And his face was shining like the sun, shining in its strength. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me. Look at this saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus shows up in this unbelievable vision. And he puts his hand on the rider and he says, hey, don't worry. I'm here. And I'm in charge. I'm in charge of death. I'm in charge of Hades. I'm in charge of all of this. And um, and don't worry about these things you've seen and, and what they might mean. And what does he say? He says, the stars are the people in this church these churches in asia these churches are being written to and yes it is being written specifically to those churches but we we receive it and we learn from it and what we learn is that god or jesus thinks of us as stars shining in in the church that's how he sees us and yes he holds the keys to death and to hades he has dominion over these things in this life. And basically what he says is just, I'm going to show you what is and what will be. I'm here to show you some things that are coming so that you can have some hope in what you're about to experience, so that you can be strengthened in where you're headed and so that you can be ready when those things come. We're going to continue in this study in Revelation uh, onward uh, for the next several weeks And so next week, we'll pick up right here, and we'll continue a little bit of introductory material uh, to try and get a sense of of some context with this letter. And uh, I'm looking very much forward to studying through it with you, and we hope you continue to join us. Thank you so very much. We'll see you next time.